0: Meet your next audiobook listen, All Hallows by Christopher Golden. This supernatural thriller is eerily set on Halloween night in 1984. Family dramas are coming to a head, a neighborhood is falling apart, and four kids who don't belong show up to add a creepy level of mystery to an already unsettled scene. That's all before the real thrill and gore begin. This deadly thriller by New York Times best-selling author Christopher Golden is now available on Spotify.
1: Here we go. okay. So, yeah, turning on the right. We're looking for a sign on a tree. Then we go down the track, and there's lots of potholes, apparently. I'm with my producer, Ruth, driving down a bumpy road in the Scottish countryside. Highland cattle and weather-beaten sheep gaze at us judgmentally. (laughs) (laughs)
2: The city slickers are in town.
1: And they don't
2: know what they're doing.
1: Okay. Well, this really is a potholed road. Here we go. Lots of nice Scottish rain in those puddles. We're searching for the house of a woman named Bridget, who has a ghost story. It's our last story, this series, and we're going to be telling it across two episodes. Trust me, it's worth it. We've travelled 600 miles north to hear it. Here we go. They say cows sitting down means it's going to rain. What about sheep sitting down? (laughs) Something more sinister. Okay. (laughs) Don't ask. It's a tale that will take me from a hospital in central London in the early 90s to this remote spot in Scotland. I'll be meeting sceptics and believers as I try to get to the bottom of a 25-year-old mystery that includes a poltergeist, a strange apparition and a group of terrified nurses, who all witness the same, seemingly impossible thing. I'm Danny Robbins, and this is Haunted. Do ghosts exist? If not, why do we see them?
2: Am I the only one that's seen this? No. No, I'm not, because Denise has seen it, and Lisa's seen it, and we're clutching each other.
3: Malevolent experiences, objects moving, a sense of dread, drop in temperature multiple witnesses. This could be the holy grail of hauntings.
2: It just travelled across the width of the ward and then it went out through the wall, just disappeared. How did you feel? Oh my God, I was so scared.
1: Episode 9, The Night Shift, Part 1. Bridget's house couldn't be much more isolated. Lots of sheep around the place. Wow, this is rural. It's amazing what some people will do to get away from a ghost. Hello.
2: I forgot that he barks
1: when he hasn't met yeah, people before. how <laughs> <Hello,
2: Bridget. laughs> do you do? Hi. Nice to meet
1: you. <laughs> and you too. I'm really sorry about the track. No, <laughs> no, that's fine. Like we Thanks. went the wrong way. We went um... These days, Bridget works at a small hospital near Aberdeen. She has that hearty, unflappable quality of someone routinely faced by blood.
2: I love a wound. I love... It. <laughs> something open and it would need cleaning and closing. I'm in the right job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She says all this whilst rustling up tea and biscuits. And then we settle ourselves in her lounge in front of a roaring fire. There is a long British tradition of the Christmas ghost story. Stretching back to the Middle Ages and perhaps even further to pagan times. The living and the dead mingling by the fire, a pleasurable rush of fear to warm us on a dark winter night. After the English Civil War, such tales were purged by the Puritan Oliver Cromwell, but then rekindled for the modern era by Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It is nearly Christmas as Bridget and I sit on her sofa, the flames throwing shadows that dance around the room. And I see the ghosts of past, present and future come to life in her eyes. I've heard that nurses tell the best ghost stories, that they have their own traditions. What is it with nurses and ghost stories?
2: It's death, I suppose, is the, the most obvious answer. You cannot be surrounded by so much death without being more susceptible.
1: You often hear about the black humour of doctors, the kind of gallows humour. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Are ghost stories a way of dealing with death?
2: Possibly. I think it's almost an expectation, especially if it's a night shift. Years ago, people did stop and have their cups of tea in the middle of the night and tell the stories, or, oh, well, have you heard that one? Or, do you know what happened on such and such a ward?
1: And are the stories passed down from older nurses yeah, to younger yeah. nurses? Yeah, okay. absolutely. So it's a rite of initiation?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: Bridget was 21 and recently qualified when she started work as a nurse at the old Middlesex Hospital, just off London's famous Oxford Street. The Middlesex has since been closed and demolished, but back then it had a world-famous reputation. Only a few years before, Princess Diana had opened the UK's first AIDS patient ward there. The hospital was at the forefront of modern medicine, but the building itself was steeped in history.
2: The actual external appearance of the hospital was old and beautiful. You would go in, you could smell the wood, not actually the clinical smell that you can smell in modern hospitals where you're overwhelmed by the alcohol hand rub and cleaning smells. It There was very much an old smell about it.
1: And of course, before long, she was introduced to the hospital's ghost stories.
2: I think probably the first one i remember on one of the the floors when a very grand landing there was a portrait of one of the hospital benefactors and the first job that the night sister had to do when she came on was shut the wooden doors that covered the portrait and the saying was that if the portrait wasn't covered there would be three unexpected deaths before eight o'clock in the morning And it was still done religiously, without exception, because nobody would take the risk. And apparently it did used to happen until they decided we need to cover up this portrait. He was an atheist, and his conditions of leaving money to the hospital was that it wasn't to be used for any religious purposes at all, and they went and built a chapel with it. So, <laughs> apparently, that's when the mischief started happening. Apparently... <laughs> atheists. Yeah, they relocated the chapel, which did happen, and covered up his picture at night, <laughs> and then wow. all was well. So you've come up this grand staircase, beautiful old wooden banisters, um, lovely wooden floors, But you would walk quickly past that portrait, most definitely.
1: Bridget was assigned to the cardiac ward on the fourth floor.
2: It was usually people that were waiting to go in for heart investigations, people that were being managed for heart failure, and then the coronary care unit, usually people were in either severe heart failure or had had heart attacks.
1: So was it a place where people did die quite often. Yeah,
2: uh uh-huh. Lots of deaths, young as well as old.
1: Do you remember the first death you had to deal with?
2: It was a lady on the care of the elderly ward, and she just died. It was her time. I'm not sure what actually took her into hospital in the first place. Can you even remember the position of the bed? And being taught how to lay somebody out, that was something that uh, was talk very seriously about you know making sure people were properly washed and how you used to wrap them in the shrouds which isn't done anymore either that used to be quite an art to wrap somebody in a shroud there was always this fear oh my god this fear that once you had wrapped them up they would suddenly sit up especially when you move them as well sometimes the gases come out so they make noises even after they've died and that can play absolute havoc with your imagination (laughs)
1: Bridget worked mainly night shifts, fuelled by takeout pizza and vending machine coffee. She was enjoying her work and got on well with the patients. One of them was an old man called Les.
2: From my memory, he was 81. He was definitely into his 80s. And he had heart failure and he was due to have heart valve replacement surgery.
1: Bridget formed a bond with him.
2: I looked after him for ages. It was a very big part of the ward, you know, his presence there. Especially in cardiology, you do get patients that are there for a long time. So you would get very, very used to people and very, very fond of people. So he was with us for quite a long time before his operation just to be stabilised and then went for his heart valve surgery. He had drains in from his wounds. Normally, you know, you would have surgery and perhaps... A couple of days afterwards, you'd be able to get the drains away and people would start their recovery. But he just kept producing massive amounts of stuff, for want of a better word. Although he was conscious and he knew what was going on, his health was very, very poor. But I do wonder whether the active treatment phase went on for too long because obviously at some point, In any person's episode of care, if things aren't working, is it time to call it a day and just support them in a dignified death?
1: Les lay in one of the side rooms on the ward, reserved for patients to recover from operations. Except, he was not recovering. Bridget felt uncomfortable watching his prolonged decline.
2: I'm talking weeks. And it was hot, I remember it was so hot He was on a pressure mattress The room was always boiling because of this mattress And the sun would be coming through the windows It was just always boiling I think that's my memory And you could smell things when you went in Because it was hot And other nurses will know what I mean (laughs) Just the smell of
1: discharge This is the smell of a man dying? Yeah And how do you think his state of mind was?
2: Fed up, absolutely fed up He wanted to live.
1: But when Leza's time finally came, Bridget wasn't at work.
2: He died a peaceful death and he would have had a nurse with him.
1: And then what happened after that?
2: I came on duty, found out he died. I was sad, but relieved. I thought it was high time that he had been allowed to die.
1: Bridget's housemate and friend, a nurse called Kristin, also worked on the ward.
2: She had looked after Les as well, and I'd not managed to tell her that he died. So when we crossed paths at the hospital, Kristin said to me, why didn't you tell me about Les?
1: Bridget's answer would come back to haunt her.
2: I just said, oh, I'm really sorry, I forgot. I think those were my fateful words, I forgot. I'm honestly sure that that's what triggered the chain of events.
1: Coming up, Les may be gone, but strange things start to happen in his old room. folks, it's Dan Casey from Nerdist, and guess what? You can now watch brand new episodes of Nerdist News as a video podcast. From in-depth breakdowns of the MCU, to Star Wars Easter eggs that you might have missed, to theories about your favorite movies, TV shows, video games, and so much more, we've got you covered. Watch now for free on Spotify. Bridget picks up an envelope from the coffee table and start to sketch out a map of her old ward on the fourth floor.
2: So this is where you would have come into the ward. This is the bit that was the coronary care unit. Is um, that the
1: most serious patients? So? Yeah. OK.
2: Oh, yeah, there was a fire escape there that everyone used to go out and smoke. OK. Oh, believe <laughs> it or not.
1: Um, is that where you'd sit and tell ghost stories? Yeah,
2: with your little cups of coffee from the clicks machine. Um, so here was the nurse's station... Just off here, there were two side rooms.
1: These side rooms are crucial to your story. Yeah. It was late summer 1992, and Bridget was starting a run of seven consecutive night shifts. Seven nights she would never forget.
2: The first event that happened was bed 15.
1: This was the bed Les had been in before his ill-fated heart operation.
2: The buzzer started going off at night and there was nobody in that, that bed. And so you'd go and you'd turn the buzzer off, thinking, that's odd. And it happened a few times. We didn't start talking about ghosts at that point, but we thought it was, you know, just a little bit odd, because it wasn't happening anywhere else. This is the bed space, and you would have a handset that would be mounted onto the wall, which would be fed, like, with a wire, um, so it could be placed by the patient's bed, clipped onto their bed covers or on their bedside table. So you would go physically... Reset set the buzzer and drop back again, and it would keep going off.
1: So this is a buzzer going off mm-hmm. next to an empty bed?
2: Yeah.
1: And is this something that had happened before? No. The following night, a female patient was brought up to the side room where Les had been in the weeks after his operation, the room he had died in. The woman had come direct from surgery.
2: She'd had a procedure called an angiogram. At that point, patients used to have to be on bed rest for... It was about 12 hours, so we know that she wasn't somebody who was getting out of her bed. And the buzzer went off in her room. I didn't go into it, one of my colleagues did. And we realised at that point, and actually this was our fault, but the buzzer, the handset, was mounted on the wall, so it hadn't been left by the side of her bed.
1: So it was too far away for her to reach? Yeah, she
2: couldn't possibly have got it. It went off, I think, twice more that night. She said she didn't press it.
1: The next night, Les's room was empty again.
2: We used to try and keep side rooms for isolation purposes, if possible. And that night, there was just lots of banging and clattering going on in Les's room. And you'd go in to see, you know... What's going on? Is there a window open? Are things being blown over? But the windows were shut. I know that the windows were shut, and it was a modern door that once it's shut, it's shut. It's not one of these things that kind of swishes open.
1: Banging and clattering. Mm, have like
2: things been dropped. Like if I was to drop. Should I do it now? Like. You just hear things like that.
1: This was odd, but Bridget knew that night shifts could affect even the most steely nervedness. On a quiet, dark ward full of the sick and dying, every cough and creak can seem amplified, and the ghost stories on the fire escape probably didn't help. But still, the noises were unusual, and when the dawn came, she was glad. The spell of night was broken. Odd sounds from empty rooms could be laughed off, and the hurly-burly of hospital life roared into action as the domestic staff cleaned and served breakfast.
2: Peely, who was a lovely domestic, she would go and do the breakfast rounds in the morning and Peely would never know which beds were occupied and which weren't so she would always make her way round the ward and when she'd get to the side rooms she'd knock and then go in.
1: Bridget was fond of Peely. She describes her as cleaner extraordinaire, agony aunt, an unsung hero of the hospital. She was Spanish, tiny, and old enough to be Bridget's mum. But on this morning, poor old Peely was about to get a shock.
2: She would have been told that the buzzers had gone off on the the empty bed spaces, and she came running out, Bridget, Bridget, there's things all over the room. And we went in, and the towels from the, the paper hand towel dispenser were strewn all over the room, just everywhere. It was as if somebody had taken the entire contents and just chucked them everywhere. I know she was Catholic, she was very devout in in her religion, and she straight away thought there was a haunting and she thought it was Les. None of us were mucking about, none of us were playing pranks on each other.
1: So you're sure nobody went into this Mm, room? Absolutely,
2: 100%. Poltergeist.
1: The term was first coined by the medieval Protestant reformer Martin Luther, merging the German word polter, meaning rowdy or noisy, with geist, meaning ghost. The angry, mischievous spirit who froze objects around is now a staple of ghost stories and beloved by horror filmmakers. Perhaps it's because despite its invisibility, the poltergeist is the most tangible of ghosts. Look, argue believers, a spirit that has a physical effect on the real world. You saw that book move, the cup smash, the papers cascade across an empty room. But surely, thought Bridget, ghost stories do not really come to life in efficient modern hospitals. Yet, on the fourth floor of the Middlesex, it seemed a pattern was beginning to emerge.
2: Same thing happened the next night. Lots of banging and clattering again. Leslie's room, still empty. And
1: in the morning, another strange scene as Peely the domestic entered Leslie's room again.
2: Peely went and did her rounds in the morning and she came out again. And the nursing cardex, which is a folder full of dividers that you would put all the patient's relevant paperwork in. So not the actual medical notes, but all the bits used day-to-day sort of drug charts, observation charts, care plans. That was open, the ring binder bit was unhitched, and all of the dividers were strewn all over the room.
1: Bridget and her colleagues tried to make sense of the chaotic scene in front of them.
2: We were on edge by this point and began to think, you know, bells have been ringing, lots of banging and clattering, hand towels everywhere, the ring binder and the dividers everywhere. You just think, what and why and how? Because we were on the fourth floor, there were windows, but I can't imagine a sort of Spider-Man person scaling up to, to do that with the dividers. And nobody could have gone into it from the door because we were there. This is where we began to think is, is it being haunted and is it less
1: and in the midst of the chaos an unwelcome memory rose that too short exchange with her flatmate kristen and with those words ringing in your head yeah i forgot to yeah. tell you i oh, forgot kristen to tell you i i'm really
2: sorry Kristen. i forgot <laughs> come back words <laughs>
1: Before we get back to Haunted, I want to tell you about another podcast. If Then is a show about technology, society and power. Each week, Slate's April Glazer and Willa Ramos take you on a lively tour of the tech news that actually matters. From fake news in your Facebook feed to the algorithms that want your job with newsmaking interviews of key tech industry figures, fascinating academics and top tech journalists. They explore not only how the technology that's shaping our world works, but the ideas, ideologies, incentives, and biases that underlie it. And guess what? They don't always agree. Every episode features an in-depth interview with newsmakers like Antonio Garcia Martinez, Ellen Powell, Lena Khan, and Tim Wu. So that's If Then, a show about technology, society, and power. And now, back to Haunted. We're halfway through Bridget's story, and, spoiler alert, the strangest parts are still to come. But I feel it's time to bring in an expert, to help make sense of where we are so far. So I've called in an old friend of mine, the parapsychologist Kieran O'Keefe. Hi, Kieran. Hello, Danny. How, How are, are you? It's been a all while. All right, yeah, it's been a while. You've yeah. Been busy? Yeah, yeah, good. I've been hunting a lot of ghosts. What about you? Uh, well, An arch-sceptic, <laughs> Kieran spent his career chasing ghosts without ever being convinced of their existence.
3: To illustrate the fact that it's not just about us talking about hospitals now. This is Phantasms of the Living, one of the first ever publications to come out of the Society for Psychical Research back in 1886. Now, you can imagine the
1: number of hospital-based stories there are there. Knowing the twists and turns ahead, I figured it would be good to have Kieran's alternative perspective on Bridget's experiences. But I hadn't realised there was also another reason he'd be interested in the case. Whilst I'm approaching this case as an objective
3: parapsychologist, it also has quite a personal angle to it as well. I'm not going to suddenly admit that I've had a ghostly experience in a hospital, but not far off. As in, when I completed my undergraduate degree, I went into mental health nursing, predominantly doing nights. I got a real sense that hospitals are places where people have these sorts of experiences. You find nurses, you find people reporting kind of odd activity, odd feelings, that sort of thing
2: wasn't covered, there would be three unexpected deaths before
1: eight o'clock in the morning. Kieran has a theory on why hospitals are so full of ghosts. It is to do with people dying there, but not in the way you might expect. Having done those night
3: shifts, and we did have patients pass away on our wards, it's a very emotional you know it's, it can be quite impactful on you even though you're a professional but then there are those incidents where a patient isn't expected to die or when they die it's quite horrific traumatic it's painful for them and ultimately that's trauma that the medical professional has to deal with and so an easy way to get over that is to story tell It's a coping mechanism. If you can tell stories about your experience witnessing that death, if it then can become part of a camaraderie group, that can help you deal with post-traumatic stress. So it's not surprising that when you have a death on the ward, there is a discussion about it. There is a discussion about the person and how they were and your interaction with them.
1: People grow into stories. Patients become ghosts. But ghost stories do not always bring comfort. For me, the key moment in this is when Bridget forgets to tell her friend that Les died.
2: I think those were my fateful words. I forgot. I'm honestly sure that that's what triggered the chain of events.
3: It feels like it's terrible betrayal. But I wouldn't say that that's the key moment. I would go back a step and say it's the circumstances around Les's death that's key. If Les had had quite a calm passing, if it had been non-eventful, if it had been not painful and she had forgot to tell her friend, we wouldn't have the same sort of impact. I think it's the nature of that death. The fact that she wasn't there, the fact that she had built up a relationship with Les makes it even worse because it happened and it wasn't on her shift, so she feels even more guilty because she was unable to give him the comfortable death that she knows he deserves. But does guilt make ghosts? Yes, absolutely, I think it does. Guilt in this particular instance, which has clouded judgment, and whilst we're dealing with somebody that knows the environment so intimately that I, that I think that they wouldn't misinterpret what happened... The guilt has clouded her judgement, and there's lots of different things that are happening in her account that she is trying to find a common cause for,
1: and that common cause is less. Is Kieran right? Was Bridget letting her feelings of guilt channel odd noises and malfunctioning buzzers into spirits? Maybe. But... I can't escape the chaotic scene in Leza's room those two mornings. The objects hurled around an empty room. And there's something else. Something that stops me thinking this case can be so easily explained. I know what happened next. What Bridget and her colleagues saw. Next time, Bridget's week of night shifts culminates in terrifying fashion.
2: Just utter fear, intense feeling of terror, um, because it was, in my head, I knew it was a haunting. Kieran
1: looks for a living suspect. The gravity of the hat
3: for her is, I've got to let somebody know about this, but I don't want to be blamed for it so I'm going to blame it on the spirit, and you know what? The bonus there is that
1: I get people on my side. And Les does not go gently. What was the feeling of the room?
2: Evil. It felt like, you need to go out from here.
1: So all those ghost stories you'd been enjoying sharing... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. they got real?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We were literally kind of clutching each other, and we were kind of beginning to cower... Do you remember
1: what you were saying to each other?
2: At first it was can you hear that did you hear that? And then as we were all stood we saw a
1: Join me for the night shift part 2. Thank you to Bridget If you've had a ghostly experience, we'd like to hear from you. Send an email to haunted at panoply.fm or find me on Twitter or Facebook. Thank you to everyone who's reviewed or rated the show so far. It means a lot. If you've enjoyed it, please do spread the word. Haunted is a Chalk and Blade production for Panoply. It was written and presented by me, Danny Robbins. The producers are Ruth Barnes, Laura Sheeter and Simon Barnard. Music and sound design is by Pascal Wise. Jesse Brown painted our artwork. Special thanks to Ryan Dilley and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Until next time,
0: sleep well. meet your next audiobook listen, All Hallows by Christopher Golden. This supernatural thriller is eerily set on Halloween night in 1984. Family dramas are coming to a head, a neighborhood is falling apart, and four kids who don't belong show up to add a creepy level of mystery to an already unsettled scene. That's all before the real thrill and gore begin. This deadly thriller by New York Times best-selling author Christopher Golden is now available on Spotify.